Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Understand what time it is. It's time to get busy because the day is just about here. Paul said in light of the fact that Christ is about to appear, it's time to get up. It's time to get dressed. And thirdly, it's time to go to work. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Nobody looks forward to being jolted awake in the morning by the alarm clock, but when the alarm does go off, it's time to get up and get ready fast. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress addresses a very urgent and relevant issue, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. From the beginning of July until now, I've chosen to address the pressing issues that face the country we love. I've called this special series, America and the Bible. And on this final program in July, I'm going to present one last message on the most urgent issue of all, and that is the soon return of Jesus Christ. Without question, the day of His coming is drawing near. This isn't conjecture. When we read about the signs God gave us in several New Testament passages, it is obvious that the day, whatever that day is, is drawing nearer with every passing second. That's one of the compelling reasons to press forward with the ministry of Pathway to Victory. When you give, you're enabling us to shine the bright light of God's truth into the dark places of our country. So, on this final program in July, I want to thank you for your partnership by providing two exclusive resources. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'm saying thanks by providing a beautiful gift book called America is a Christian Nation. It features a variety of uplifting quotes and historical facts that reinforce our confidence that America was indeed founded on Christian values. As a bonus, I've also included a DVD recording of my message on the same topic, America is a Christian Nation. I'll say more about the resources later, but right now, let's get started with this final study in the month of July. As the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 13, it's later than you think. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 13. Look at verse 11 of Romans 13. And this do, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Paul wants us to know what time it is. Remember the sons of Issachar we talked about a few weeks ago? First Chronicles uh, 12, verse 32, it says, these descendants uh, of Issachar, they were men who understood their times. They knew what time it was, and they knew what God's people should do. In Matthew 16, verse 3, Jesus criticized the Pharisees by saying, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. We need to know what time we are living in right now. What time is it on God's clock? Well, right now we're living in the time, first of all, write it down, when darkness prevails. When darkness prevails, look at verse 12. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Paul is saying it's still nighttime. You know, when the alarm goes off, (laughs) 
if you've got it set right. It probably goes off when it's still dark and it isn't full daylight yet. And it's the same way here. We need to realize that the darkness is still with us. The darkness is still prevailing. The day is at hand, but it hasn't quite yet arrived. And folks, understanding that helps you make sense of the world in which we live. You know, Galatians 1 verse 4 says that we are living in this present evil age. Do you understand we're living in an era where Satan is still in control of this world? Do you need a preacher to tell you that? But Paul says something else about the time we're living in. We're living in a time when the daylight is about to unveil. Darkness prevails, the night is almost gone, and the day is about to appear. What day is Paul talking about? The scripture uses the day to refer to the time of Christ's return. Now stay with me on this. In many ways, the day refers to all of the end time events. It telescopes all of the end time events together and sees them as one. We know on God's prophetic calendar, the next event is going to be the rapture of the church when all Christians are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, followed by the seven years of tribulation we call the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment, followed by the literal return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Paul uses the term the day to refer to all of those events. And so in Romans 13, 11, Paul says, for now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Because the day is just about here, salvation is nearer to us than it's ever been. What do you mean, Paul? It is closer than it has ever been. You know, the fact is, we don't know when Christ is coming. We can't know the time, but we do know the times. Did you know in the Greek text, there are really two words that refer to time. One word is the word chronos, chronos. It means hour, date, minute, second, the chronos. We can't know the chronos of when Christ is coming. But there's a second word for time, kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. That refers to the season, the era. And by looking at prophetic events, we can know we're living in the time, the season, the era of Christ's return. He said it is closer today than it has ever been. And that's why Paul is saying in Romans 13, 11, the alarm has sounded. It is time to wake up. But number two, it's time to do something else. Since the alarm has sounded, it is also time to get dressed. Look at verse 12. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, when you get up and finally get yourself out of bed, what's the first thing you do? Well, you get dressed. And the reason you get dressed is the clothing you were wearing at night may be suitable for the nighttime, but it's certainly not suitable for the daytime. And you wouldn't dare think about wearing what you wore at night in the daytime. It just wouldn't be proper. Paul is saying the same thing about our behavior. He uses clothing as a metaphor for behavior. There's certain behavior we put off because the night is over. And there's other kind of behavior that we need to put on. Throughout the Bible, righteousness, a right relationship with God, 
is often compared to clothing. Now, again, we're going to wade into some theological waters here for just a moment, but this is very, very practical. You know, the word righteousness means a right standing with God. And there are two kinds of righteousness in the Bible. There's what we call, first of all, imputed righteousness. I-M-P-U-T-E-D, imputed righteousness. That is righteousness that God imputes. That is, he credits to our account the moment we become a Christian. Imputed righteousness, it is a gift of God. The moment we trust in Christ, we are declared to be not guilty. It is a gift from God. It is nothing we earn. The Bible also describes that kind of righteousness as a garment that God puts on us. Do you remember the illustration I used before about a man who takes his wife to dinner to a very nice restaurant? He's dressed in nice, casual clothes, but when he gets to the restaurant, he discovers there's a policy that says dinner jackets required. He complains to the maitre d' that he was unaware of the policy. The maitre d' said it doesn't matter, that's our policy. But he said, you're not the only one who's come in here like this, and that's why we keep a spare jacket here. And if you'd like, you can borrow this jacket, and you can come in and have a great meal. Now, at that point, you have a choice. You can either out of pride say, if you don't like me the way I'm dressed, well, you can just hang it on your beak. I'm out of here, and here we go. Or you can humble yourself and say, I'll follow the policy. I'll accept the gift of that coat. I will put it on so I can enjoy a great meal. You know, the same is true for us spiritually. None of us has the right clothing, so to speak, to enter into heaven. Our righteousness, the best we can do, is like a filthy garment to God, the Bible says. We can never enter heaven in our own. But God makes us a deal. He said, you don't have enough righteousness, but I've got lots of righteousness. And if you will confess your sin and trust in Jesus to be your savior, I will put his righteousness around you. I'll wrap you in his righteousness. And from that point on, when I see you, I don't see your sin. I see the righteousness of my son. Now, at that point, we can say, God, I don't care. If you don't take me the way I am, forget it. And we miss eternity with God in heaven. Or we can humble ourselves and we can say, God, I believe what you've said. And in humility, I accept the gift of your righteousness by trusting in Christ. The Bible calls that imputed righteousness. You know, Philippians 3.9 says, my prayer, Paul said, is that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which comes from obeying the law. That's not good enough. I want the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith in Christ. We sing that song often, when he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That is imputed righteousness. We receive it as a gift. But there's a second kind of righteousness. That is ethical righteousness. Ethical righteousness. That refers to our acts after we're a Christian, our obedience to God, not to earn our salvation, but in light of what Christ has done for us. Now, when Paul talks about putting on the armor of light, 
putting on new behavior, he's talking about that second kind of righteousness. He's talking about putting on obedience to God, not to earn your salvation, but out of appreciation for what God has done for us. Now look at verse 12 of Romans 13. The night is almost gone and the day is hand. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness, the behavior of darkness, and put on the armor of light. What kind of garments do we need to remove? Look at verse 13. He says, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, and not in strife and jealousy. Paul talks about three kinds of behavior every Christian needs to lay aside. In light of the fact that Christ is almost here, in light of the fact that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day to be evaluated, there are three kinds of behavior we need to be done with. We need to lay aside. First of all, he talks about uncontrollable pleasure. He refers to carousing and drunkenness. Uh, These uh, refer to Uh, activities of the nighttime. Secondly, he says we need to lay aside unrestrained immorality. He's talking about sexual promiscuity, sensual activities. Again, things that are done in secrecy in the cloak of darkness. And then thirdly, he talks about unresolved anger. That is strife and jealousy. You need to lay that stuff aside too. Why? Because Christ is coming back. Lay aside those things. And then secondly, he talks about what we need to put on. You don't just take off behavior. There's another set of clothes, so to speak, you need to put on. Now, if I had been Paul and I'd been writing this letter, I would have probably come up with a laundry list of behaviors Christians ought to put on. Love, gentleness, self-control, peace, all those sorts of things. Paul doesn't do that. Instead, he simply says, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, if you want to know how to behave, just look at Jesus. Behave like Jesus would. When you're standing in front of that magazine stand, perusing the different covers and deciding where your eyes are going to land, what would Jesus do? When you're surfing that internet site, trying to fill up some time, what sites would Jesus be looking at? When the name of one of your enemies pops up in a conversation and you're tempted to say something, what would Jesus do? That's what he's saying here. Put on Jesus Christ. And then he adds the phrase, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. He has two things in mind here. He says, first of all, don't rationalize sinful behavior. Don't say, well, you know, I'm only human. God doesn't expect me to be perfect. I'm going to give myself permission to do this. I love people who say, I thought I'd give myself permission to do this. No, don't do that. Remember what James said in James 1? Let no man say when he's tempted that he's being tempted by God. Some Christians actually rationalize sinful behavior. Well, you know, God's probably allowing me to do this so I can know his grace more and more and understand I'm not perfect. They actually use God as the excuse. He said, don't do that. Don't rationalize your sin. And not only that, give yourself a zero tolerance level for sin. There's some of you right now who maybe are single adults and you're saying in your dating life, well, you know, I can't be 100% pure, so I'll go this far in immoral activities, but I won't cross the line. 
I won't go any further than this. And then the line gets moved a little further and a little further and a little further. No, sin is addictive. The more you sin, the more you want to sin. And so that's why Paul is saying, have a zero tolerance level here. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Paul said, in light of the fact that Christ is about to appear, it's time to get up. It's time to get dressed. And thirdly, it's time to go to work. It's time to go to work. I want you to hold your place here and turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 for just a minute. Ephesians chapter 5. I heard about a person who said, I sleep fine at night. I sleep fine in the morning. I just toss and turn all afternoon. Well, you know, a lot of Christians are like that spiritually. They are in a spiritual stupor. They walk around spiritually asleep, not having a clue as to what time it is. Look at how Paul addresses this in Ephesians 5, 14 through 16. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the day is evil. Understand what time it is. It's time to get busy because the day is just about here. The day of Christ appearing is just about here. It's time to get up. You know, it's interesting. Jesus said in John 9 verse 4, something that almost seemed opposite of what Paul said. Jesus said, work while it is day for the night is coming when no man can work. Now, they weren't contradicting each other. They were looking at the same truth from a different perspective. Paul said, in light of the fact that Christ is about to appear, the day's about to come, go to work. Jesus was saying, the fact that we've got opportunity now to do the works of God doesn't mean we'll always have those opportunities. Work while it's day, for the night is coming when it will be too late to do any work. Both are saying the same thing. It's right now time to go to work. It's time to lay aside that sinful behavior that causes you to feel separated from God. It's time to let go of those addictions that are destroying your life. It is time to end that relationship that is dragging you so far down. It's time to start using that spiritual gift God has given you to do the one thing he's left you here on earth to do, and that is to make disciples for Christ. It's time to go to work. You know, I have that sense more right now than I've ever had in my life. You know, people will come up and say the funniest things to you, but people come up to me and they say, Pastor, you look so tired. And when I was younger, I used to say, oh, oh, oh no, I'm not tired at all. It's just allergies. That's all it is. I'm fine. Now, I just tell the truth. I look tired because I am tired. I mean, I'm exhausted. But there's a reason I feel that way. There's something inside of me that says right now is the time to work. I think something big is getting ready to happen. I don't know if that something big is my own mortality and I'm about to go meet the Lord. I don't know whether it's the Lord is about to return 
I don't know if it's the fact that the opportunities we have as a church right now, we're not going to have much longer. But whatever reason it is, it's time to turn on the afterburners and it's time to get to work as a church. That's exactly what he's saying right now. It's time to go to work. Many of you know the name of Jonathan Edwards, a remarkable man. Before he was 20 years of age, he wrote a resolution that guided the rest of his life. He said, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I can. Edwards once preached a sermon based on this passage, Ephesians 5, called The Preciousness of Time and the Importance of Redeeming It. And using this passage from Ephesians 5, he came up with three principles I want you to write down about time. He said, number one, consider you are accountable to God for your time. Consider that you're accountable to God for your time. Do you realize one day when you and I stand before the judgment seat of Christ for God to evaluate our lives, we're going to give an account of everything he's entrusted to us, including the time that he's given to us. Number two, Consider how much time you have already lost. Spend some time thinking about the time you've wasted in your life. And then number three, consider how you may improve the present time without delay. Here's the bad news. You can never reclaim time that you've lost. It's gone forever. But the good news is you can make changes in your life right now to maximize the time that you have left. Lloyd Ogilvie used to tell the story about a father who would put his son to bed every night. And they would have the ritual of saying this prayer together. The little boy would pray the prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. One night the little boy prayed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I wake before I die, he stopped. He said, Daddy, I'm sorry, I messed up. The dad said, oh, no, son, you didn't mess up at all. You prayed the most profound prayer anyone could pray. If I wake before I die. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to wake up. It's time to get up. It's time to get dressed. It's time to go to work. Because the dawn of Christ appearing is nearer than it's ever been. Without question, I have a growing sense for the soon return of Jesus Christ. The signs he gave us in Scripture are growing with frequency, just as the pains accelerate right before birth. This is why we feel so compelled at Pathway to Victory to declare the truth about the Bible and the reality of Christ's second coming. Gratefully, there's a growing movement all across America to join forces with Pathway to Victory so that we're empowered to shine the light of God's truth into the dark places of our country. And on this Friday program, the last one that will air in the month of July, It's my final occasion to describe a special thank you package that we've prepared to send you. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'm going to send you my latest book called America is a Christian Nation. This is the exclusive gift book that I described earlier that includes a colorful display of iconic American scenes. 
But most importantly, you'll enjoy reading inspirational chapters that will bolster your confidence in the spiritual heritage of our great nation. As a bonus, I'm going to include my DVD message on this topic as well, America is a Christian Nation. You can show this message to your family at home or share the video with your small group at church. Remember, this opportunity to receive these one-of-a-kind resources will expire July 31st. So please get in touch with us today while it's fresh on your mind. Here's my promise. As you stand with us by giving a generous gift today, we will continue to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ until he returns to take us home. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. A copy of the brand new book, America is a Christian Nation, is yours today when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. As an added bonus, you'll also receive the companion message on DVD. Request your copy of these resources by calling 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. Now, when you give an especially generous gift of $125 or more, you'll not only receive the book and the DVD message, but also the America and the Bible teaching series on CD and DVD. Plus, we'll send you another book by Dr. Jeffress called Praying for America. But this really is the very last day we'll mention these resources. So be sure to get in touch right away. Again, call 866-999-2965 or online, go to ptv.org. Or our mailing address is P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, wishing you a great weekend. Then join us again Monday for the start of a new series about spiritual warfare. It's called The Divine Defense, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.